Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions helps accounting practitioners and businesses of all sizes simplify sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated returns filing, and more. Listen for a special offer later in the show. This is Oh My Fraud, a true crime podcast that features embezzlement instead of executions. I'm Caleb Newquist. And I'm Greg Kite. Greg, it's great to be back. Exciting. Let me ask you something, uh, in case people don't know. Uh, where do you live? I live in Provo, Utah. Provo, right. And so yep. just a few questions about Provo. Home of home of Brigham Young University, if I'm not mistaken. That That's right. We I am in the heart. I'm deep in the heart of Mormon land. Okay, great. So I know Mormon are a, they're a, they're a gentle folk, but I, I, I will still ask, does Provo have its own police force? I mean, you're right. They're gentle folk and law, a law abiding group of gentle folk. Yeah. And, and regardless of that, yes, we have a police force. Okay. And does Provo have its own fire department? <laughs> yes. Yes, okay. we do. We've got a fire department. Okay. And what about uh, public libraries? We have a, a great public library in Provo, and it is full of only copies of the Book of Mormon. There is no, nothing else except that. Okay, so so an unusual library, but a public library nonetheless. Okay, yes. uh, parks, yes. playgrounds? Yeah, of course. Yes, okay. Parks and playgrounds? All the kids out here? Yes, we've, yes. Got, we've got a bazillion. Yeah, they got to they got to send the them nicest. out. The nicest. Yeah, they got to send them out. Okay. Yeah. And speaking of, speaking of nice things, what about your streets? Are your streets nice? Like the uh, roads? Uh streets are streets are serviceable. It depends on which street you're talking about, but by and large, okay. we've got some we got some decent the, streets. I don't think we've got the worst streets. Okay. So there's Cool. Like, like I think I want to throw some shade on Idaho. I believe when you drive on, on I-15 from Utah to Idaho, you can tell right when the state line is because all of a sudden the road's really shitty. As soon as you cross into Idaho, do something about it, Idaho. Huh. Do you think they're de- trying to deter people away? No, I think Utah is trying to flex on them as what they do. So all of our public road money goes right to the border so that people are like, oh, this is this is God's country. Just you can feel it. Okay, cool. So um oh, and one last question. Public schools. You have those, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we have we've got we've got public schools. All right. Uh g- galore. Okay. I mean, just you're humoring me wonderfully, I'll say. So just humor me a bit more. Um, how does this stuff get paid for? Do you know? Uh, taxes. Actually, uh, I, I'm, if you want to talk to my boss, he's an he's a 85-year-old retired surgeon who obviously all of his kids are out of uh, the nest at age 85. And if you talk to him, it's through all of those damn property taxes that he has to pay for. He's so butthurt about property taxes. He's like, he's like, I pay thousands of dollars in property taxes and they all go to schools and I don't have any kids in school anymore. This is crap. I hate everything. Yeah. Why would we educate our youth? Why would we educate our youth? Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. No, but he's, he's very grumpy about it. So yeah, taxes. uh, Yeah. So it's taxes. A lot, a lot of it's property taxes. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's the sales taxes. A lot of it's a cut. We do in the state of Utah, we do have a state uh, income tax. So there's a cut of that, that gets uh, divvied out to the different uh, 
jurisdictions throughout right. the states. And so, I, yeah, I imagine taxes, does, taxes, taxes. Does Provo have like a city tax, or do they do like it mostly through a sales and property and other? Kind yeah, of it's not. There's. Yeah, no city, no city income tax. Okay. So, but there is a, but but you do have to, you know, the sales tax thing, that um that you know the the company Avalara does so well in terms of putting together and making automating and making it simple. So all this stuff, <laughs> all this stuff, cops, libraries, <laughs> playgrounds, schools. Oh, wait, wait, no, wait, we also listen in Utah. What? What? No, we also pay for things through state liquor stores. We don't have oh. any private run liquor stores. If you even want to buy a bottle of wine, you can buy beer in a grocery store, but that's it. If you even want wine, you got to go to a grocery state uh, to a liquor state store. run liquor store. Yeah. And that all that all that sinful lucre goes back into the state uh, coffers. So it's taxes and booze. Right. That's what funds our right. roads and schools okay. in Utah. All right, cool. So Taxes pay for all this stuff, right? And like on the city level, and booze, yeah, right. And at the st- at the city level, I mean, this basic—that's basically how it works in every town in America, right? That's my understanding yeah. of it. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, I don't know. I don't know of any of any that's different than that. And even I've got to assume that the the alcohol money is a very small slice of the of the funds, right? Here in Utah, even. And so, you know, because cities are kind of in the, in the government world, cities are kind of a, they're small operations compared to like the federal government compared to state governments. Yeah. But like at the local level, I think people kind of forget about just there's, there's local governments. You know, I, I live in, I live in Littleton, Colorado. There's, we, 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 you know, we, we have a, we have a, I think we have a city manager form of government. And, you know, it sounds like Provo has a very nice thing going there. And like all these other, Mm -hmm. you know, small towns around big metropolitan areas, they all have, they all have their own governments and they, and they have taxes and they use those taxes to pay police and fire departments and pay for schools and all this stuff. And I guess the way, the reason that we're talking about all this is this is kind of the, we want to tee up this week, this, this show and local government is the focus. And specifically how one massive fraud in one small town was hiding just right under everyone's nose. And the perpetrator was just as shocking to that community as the crime was. And so, yep. Yeah. Any thoughts, Greg, municipal fraud? Well, yeah. Well, again, like you're saying, I mean, two two things that that we know just from the data and from the reports, like from the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, is that uh, the the organizations that get hit hardest by fraud are small businesses and small government, and that's I mean that that's been the case forever. And and so on this uh, episode, we are going to be looking at what I what I like to think of as a very like we're we're playing the hits we're we're playing a we're looking at a classic case even though it's only what it it's not even ten years old from when this was uh when this was discovered and and prosecuted 
but it this is a this is a big deal. A lot of people know about. It. There's a documentary that's been made about it. So uh, so yeah, I'm excited to to look into this and to give it the special oh my fraud treatment of looking at, looking at the things we look at that might have been overlooked by some of the overlooked or underemphasized by some of the other places that you've you've heard of the Rita Crundwell Dixon Illinois the queen of the horse breeding uh, world fraud embezzlement case right so when we come back we'll get into don't look a fraud horse in the mouth so <laughs> stick around This episode is about a small town that probably isn't that different from the small town where many of you may live. And the town, the town we're talking about is Dixon, Illinois. Dixon is about a hundred miles. Never, oh, sorry. I've, I've, I've never been there. Have you ever been through I, Dixon, I have, Illinois? I have not. I have not. I've been to Illinois hey, but a, a number of times, but I've never been to Dixon. Dixon is west of Chicago, about a hundred miles. And it's okay. it's the county seat in Lee County. Uh, okay. in, in the 2020 census, it had a population of fifteen thousand two seventy four. Census duck up. That's very very small. There's a lot of there's a lot of stadiums, a lot of basketball uh, coliseums that are that could house a, a seat every single citizen of Dixon, Illinois. Yes, yes. And so, you know, I think it's one of those cities, at least the sense that I get about Dixon is that it's it's a city where a lot of the people that live there, they know each other, uh, they know what's going on around town, they, you know, it, there's this intimacy and familiarity. I grew up in a small town, a, a town much smaller than Dixon, but the, the, the idea being that in towns like this, in places like this, people feel close, they, they like doing business with a handshake. They, they kind of, there's this underlying trust throughout the community. Yeah. So <laughs> it's these circumstances, the circumstances of Dixon, Illinois, small town, people like each other, people trust each other. Uh, it's these circumstances that allowed one city employee, the municipal comptroller, Rita Crunwell, to perpetrate a massive embezzlement scheme for over 20 years to the tune of $54 million. And this is believed to be the largest municipal fraud in U.S. history. Yeah, yeah, big, big deal. So this 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 comptroller, Rita Crenwell, uh-huh. she was uh-huh. she was a townie. She was a Dixon, yeah. Illinois <laughs> high school graduate, and um, uh-huh. she had she began working at the city of Dixon uh, in 1970, and she became. That- like, you know, one of those high school, uh, school to work things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. She became a comp, she became the city comptroller in 1983. Uh-huh. And she had already, she, like, you mentioned the documentary. They describe her as kind of this rising star. You know, she yeah. was just very bright and nice looking, popular. And she showed, she showed horses as a young person. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. She 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 began this this career as a, a civil servant, and uh-huh. she did it for forty years. And right. you know, so she yeah. so wait, so she started, so she began working the, at the city in nineteen seventy. Yes, 
So that was that was when it started, and she became the comptroller in 1983. Okay. Correct. That's and a, if I recall, yeah, that's a long, yeah, career. Yeah, and as I recall, she it, it was basically the comptroller, her her boss at the time was retiring, and basically she she you know they she was the the heir apparent, and so the heir apparent right. she she became the comptroller. Which, because she had already, Which because it, people were already impressed with her, and she had she she was starting to build trust. She had she had a great reputation. She was like I said, she was a she was a homegrown uh, Dixon, Illinois uh, citizen, and so yeah, it I, I it, it makes perfect sense in a small town with a small city government where you got somebody who's doing good work, hang on to them, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it sounds like I mean, again, the the way I the way I heard the story of Rita Crundwell getting into the position that she got into, it seems like she just kind of fell into all of it. Where mm-hmm. it, it was almost like I mean, I don't think this was quite it, but but the at least the feel of the story was like, hey kids, let's take a hey, it's your junior year, let's take a field trip to City Hall. What do you say? And she goes and goes, hey, I guess I'll work here. And then all of a sudden. <laughs> Field trip. She just has a job at City Hall doing City Hall stuff, and then, like you said, it's like ah, our old comptroller. He's old and doesn't want to do it anymore. Hey, Rita. Hey, Avery. Rita. You want to be a comptroller at our city? She's like, okay, and so then she's the comptroller, and that's how it is. And and what's crazy also, her education level was just, like she had a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. She did not have any higher education. Correct. I mean, do you think do you think in order to to be a comptroller, do you think you need a college education, Greg? Well, that's that's the thing. Probably not in a city of fifteen hundred people. Fifteen thousand. Um, I would say fifteen thousand. Fifteen. Sorry, fifteen thousand yeah, yeah. people. Pro- probably not. And and I think probably probably the dynamic is probably that dynamic that we're just talking about. Yeah. But people just like, hey, she does great at this, and she doesn't have a degree. Who cares? Right. She's good. Let her let her do it. Yep. No big deal. Right. So and that's I, I imagine that's probably more of the dynamic. Yeah. And I think you know the the circumstances around Dixon and and Rita, like it again, small government, city government. The budget was around eight million, nine million dollars. They had a small staff. It was Rita and the other woman who worked with her. Her name was Kathy Swanson. She was the city clerk, and yep. but they were they were especially Rita. She was trusted by everybody, and right. she she had a nickname for all her coworkers. So she's affable, you know. Right. So here's an interesting thing in the research. So Dixon, their form of city government was kind of unusual. And I'm reading from, uh, I'm reading from Chicago magazine, but it says since 1911, Dixon has been run by a commission form of government, an old model used by only 50 out of the 1300 municipalities in Illinois. Power is divided among five people, a mayor and four part-time commissioners who oversee their fiefdoms, 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 Uh fiefdoms, fiefdoms. Yeah. Okay. Which is, uh, yeah, FIFA. That's, uh, yeah, like uh, it's the same root word of FIFA, the soccer uh, commission. <laughs> I think so. Anyway, in this case, it was public property, public health, safety, streets, and public improvements, and finance. And the mayor okay. made sixty nine ninety six hundred a year, and the commissioners made twenty seven hundred dollars a year each. 
which like, is to that's say like Scrooge McDuck money, which is to say <laughs> this wasn't their full time job. Okay, so <laughs> right. you've got right. you've yeah. got all these you've got these basically you've got part timers who are doing civil service jobs or maybe their elected positions, but whatever the case may be, th- this isn't their full-time gig, right? They're yeah. They Dixon is in that kind of a situation where yes, they, they have like a $9 million budget, but they're not spending that money on administration. Right. With the exception of like, you know, Rita, the comptroller and Kathy, the city clerk. Right. I mean, not even the mayor's right. full-time, you know, the commissioners right. aren't full-time. And so, oversight may be a bit sparse in a situation like yeah. that. Right? Yep. It, it, abs- it absolutely is. All these people in these part-time positions are going, okay, we're making decisions. We're going to figure out how this, the city's going to run. But then we rely on the few, the small full-time staff that we have to actually execute the, the decisions that we make. Right. So just to give you a, an idea of w- what that looked like, Rita's job duties looked like this. She picked up the mail. She made the deposits. Uh-huh. She made journal entries and adjustment adjusting journal entries. She prepared and signed the checks. She moved the money around. She made the transfers. Uh-huh. And she rec- reconciled the bank accounts. Do you remember what what was Swanson's? What was her? Was, was, uh, was it Kathy Swanson? Yes. Was the co-worker? Yes. Yeah. The city clerk. So, so what was... She was a city clerk. Mm-hmm. So she, was she just sort of a, a, a you know, all around utility player for the city? I got that impression. And I mean, she was, she was, she did support Rita in a lot of these finance areas, uh-huh. but Rita right. had control over all these key areas, the, the stuff that I just listed. And right, also, right. I think yeah. what's so important. So she was, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess the the clerk would have lots of other responsibilities, cl- mm-hmm. probably clerical in nature. I mean, just to go out on a limb, uh, but also along with that, she I'm sure she provided a support for the the comptroller right. of the city, which which is clear in terms of just how the the case unfolded as well. Right. And so, one more thing. But, but the other. Go, go ahead. Oh yeah, the one more thing, just to give you an idea of the circumstances around. Rita Crunwell, and this is back from the Chicago Ma- Magazine, which did a, which is a really long but very good, re- well-reported article. It said the budget and financial statements was an obtuse mix of loan balances and in- interfund transfers with revenues all labeled as revenue. Tracing the inflows and outflows is impossible. So, in other words, Rita was the only person. That could she she basically created this own like Kafka s little fiefdom of her own where she was the only one who knew what was going on and nobody else could make sense of it right and so anytime well, and, and, they, and, and we and we talk about I don't it's it's maybe we'll talk about it later but like anytime people had questions like oh ask Rita right that's that's inevitably right. where people came back to was like oh ask Rita Rita knows the answer this and that and whatever. Right. Well, and and I think those were two of the big things that that helped her uh, stay in her stay in her position and helped her perpetrate the fraud. Was like we said, she was uh, nobody ever said that she was not a nice person. Right. She was 
She was pleasant. She was pleasant to friendly with everyone. And the other thing that everyone talks about is she was very competent at her job. She was, I mean, very competent. I would say she was excellent at her job. If you needed a contact at some vendor for the city, you'd just be like, hey, Rita, who's that guy? And she'd be like, oh, it's this this person. She was, she was the answer lady for all things finance and probably beyond for the city. So, so both of those things endeared her to everybody that she worked for and, and built trust uh, with everyone that she worked for. Cause the, you know, competence, you know, it's, it's a great, it's, it looks what I, it's, I'd it say it's good on most people. Yeah. Competence. It's, it's not going to hurt your uh, trustability. Right. Avalara helps businesses of all sizes get indirect tax compliance right. Our sales tax solutions help you manage sales and use tax complexities while lessening risk for your business and clients. Whether you are a small business or a global enterprise, Avalara can help you deliver tax compliance services confidently and efficiently. Over 30,000 organizations across the globe use Avalara's cloud-based compliance solutions to solve transaction tax compliance needs, including sales and use, VAT, and other indirect and direct taxes. In October 2021, IDC MarketScape named Avalara a leader in tax automation in three categories, small and mid-sized business, enterprise, and VAT. If you're considering tax automation, check out the independent IDC evaluations at omf.show slash Avalara. Once again, that's omf.show slash Avalara. And later, we will be telling you about a special offer for anyone who wants to learn more. So how, how did she pull this off? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, and it's surprise, surprisingly simple scheme. It is. It is. So, well, I mean, it's surprising because it's, I guess I said it's a surprisingly simple scheme, but it's only surprising because of the amount of money she, and the, the amount of money that she pulled out of the city and the duration that this simple scheme was able to that she was able to to keep it going, but uh, not not surprising in that it's just a teeny tiny government and she and she's not she's not super sophisticated, uh, you know. Like we said, she it's not like she had massive amounts of training in accounting and finance. So uh, so yeah, so it's surprising, but at the same time, kind of not. Yep. So the, here's how it worked: City of Dixon had six legitimate accounts at fifth third bank. Okay. And let me say, I got to stop you right there. Yes. Do not, do not trust any financial institution that's named after an improper fraction. That's bullshit. Uh, that, that name, it should not be like, there should be a state law that prohibits the name of fifth third bank. Is it? So it's the 15th bank. Is that what you're trying to say? Is it, is it 1.67 bank? Just, just, that sits poorly with me. Yeah, I mean, for a number, that's, that's for a, numbers, a red flag. For a numbers business, it should be a red flag. <laughs> anyway, so there were six legitimate accounts, bank accounts. Rita moved a lot of the money that came into these various accounts. She moved a lot of it into the capital development fund. So most cities, they have general fund, they have other funds, but cap capital development, capital projects, whatever common for city government, right? 
1990, mm-hmm. December of 1990, she created a new secret account. And she was the primary account holder with a second account holder listed as RSCDA, care of Rita Crunwell. And RSCDA stood for Reserve Sewer Capital Development Account. Okay? Yeah. She, and her secret account was named Reserve Sewer Capital Development Account. De- development That's account. the secret yeah. account. Right? That's the secret. That's the secret, the secret one. one. Yeah. And so she would create phony invoices for phony capital mm-hmm. development projects, sidewalk, street prayers, whatever. And she would and then draw the check on the capital development fund to those projects and that money would go into the reserve sewer capital development account right yep invoice triggers the payment right and Mm -hmm. from there she just she just paid for stuff directly out of that secret account because nobody knew about it right and that's how she paid for all the loot which we'll get into the loot in a minute but she did this right which which again yeah Small town, that's the other small town vibe that we've got off of this whole thing. Is it's like, oh, you work for the city? Oh, you want to open an account at our bank? Oh, what's the name of the account? Reserve Sewer Capital Development Account? Awesome. Who's the signer on this? Just you? Okay, cool. Right on. Here's your bank account. See ya. Thanks. Honestly. And she's like, what, what, it was, what address do you want these statements to go to? Oh, your home address? Right on. No problem. I guess you work from home. No, no work. joke. Cool. I, I, Wave of the future. I just, I seriously doubt it was... You're not exaggerating is what I'm trying to say is like, it was probably almost that simple. Right. Well, and the crazy thing, I mean, think of the timeline too. So she started working for the city of Dixon, Illinois in 1970. She opens the FANC account in 1990. She's already a 20 year employee of this city. So again, you're like going, okay, you've been here forever. Cool. What do you need Rita? Awesome. Done. That's that's, that's got to be, you know, and, and I'm sure Fifth Third Bank, which again, how many banks do you have in Dixon, Illinois? But Fifth Third Bank, I'm sure it's been the bank of the city for all 20 of those years. So she knew all these people for forever. And it really was probably just that easy. Yeah. This is what I want. Do it. Cool. Thanks. See ya. Yep. And so she she did this. She processed and paid these phony invoices. And so, and like you say, it's, 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 this isn't a compliment. It's this, there's nothing complicated about this. It's a phony account, phony invoices. There's no like elaborate, you know, there's not a phony PO box or anything else, you know, like that, that where the, the phony vendors are or anything like that. And then she just, she just paid for her stuff (laughs) right out of the phony account. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very simple. And what's weird, did you, do we want to get into the dollar amounts of what she stole and how quickly she stole it? Yeah. Just, I want to, I want to make one point before, before we get into that. There was a, there's something interesting about, again, the circumstances around this fraud and which is this typically in your garden variety fraud, the person, the person that perpetrates it is working all the time. They never take time off because they have it. That's part of the game is in order to cover your tracks at any given time, you have to be aware of what's going on at any given time. Right. In this case, 
And we haven't, we haven't even started talking about the horses yet, which is, I think is, is kind of funny, but we're going to get into the horses. But, but because Rita had, she, she, she showed quarter horses and was traveling a lot. She took tons of vacation. She, in some cases yeah. in 2011, yeah. the year before, in the year before the fraud was found out, she took four weeks of paid leave. And then she took an additional 12 weeks off. She was gone yeah. all the time. And the way she yeah, was able ridiculous. To, yeah, she, the way she was able to pull it off was she had a relative, I believe, pick up the mail while she was gone. Oh, she wait, she had a relative dude? I, she didn't yeah. have Kathy uh, no. Swanson. I'm almost certain that she had a relative pick up the mail while she was doing this wow. additional traveling. And not only that, so this and, the, and so because she did so much traveling, she docked her own pay. So and and that's normal, like in any employer, if if you take excess PTO, they're just like, all right, well, you just don't get paid for that time. And that's exactly what yeah. she did. So it looks perfectly reasonable, right? And so yeah. it's kind of, I think that's one of the other remarkable things about this is that she was doing this for two decades and totally bucked mm -hmm. the trend of fraudsters just working day and night to cover their tracks. No, she was... She was living right. it up, doing her thing. Right. Well, and an interesting data point, according to the ACFE's 2020 report to the nation, a refusal to take vacations. So just not just like she, Rita took excessive vacations, right. but the people who just like, I will not take any time off. And that is a red flag for fraud. 7% of all frauds have people who just are like never take vacations. And, and it's interesting too, cause you, you mentioned that, um, you said it was like, it's part of the game that you don't take time off. I feel like that's, that's actually, I, I want to say this is a, this is an assumption. Tell me if you think I'm off base. I would have to say that people who, who steal money from their employers, the part of the bargain that they didn't anticipate was that, oh shoot, now I can never, now I can never leave my job because I will <laughs> right. be discovered. Right. So it, it's it's one of the unintended consequences of being an asshole is now you never get to leave the job that you just stole fifty three million fifty four million dollars from. But but like you said, not the case with Rita Crunwell, right? And to totally totally crazy. I I and I, and, and I, I like your characterization of it much better than mine. For what it's worth, okay. And then and, and I I want to get into just just get real it, get briefly into the money. get into the money. Yeah, get it. So $54 million is what she stole Be, uh, between 53 and $54 million. Yep. It rounds to 54, but one the crazy thing is her, her first year. So she opened the fake banking account at the very end of 1990. So in 1991, that year she stole $181,000 was all out 54 million, 181 is a tiny fraction of that. But again, to keep it in context, it, like the median loss due to fraud in 2020 for uh, asset misappropriation was, uh, and I, I probably should look this up and get the exact thing, but I believe it was $125,000 was the median loss due to fraud in 2020. So the fact that she stole $181,000 thousand dollars in her first year back in 1990 that was pretty that was pretty ballsy of of old rita the most money she stole in any given year was in 2008 where she stole in one year 
$5.8 million, which was approximately, listen, it was approximately two-thirds of the city's entire budget for that year. She took two-thirds of the budget for the whole year. I I would have been more impressed if she took (laughs) five-thirds of the city's budget, but two-thirds still very impressive. That would would have been a nice touch. And she did that. She did that in... 2009 and 2010. Like, 2008 is when the 5.8. Yes, and, but and, the, I'm saying the two successive years after that, she also stole, at least if I recall, she stole $5 million also. Okay, yeah. Those were the big years. Well, and that was pretty close to the end because the yes. end was in 2012. So, uh, and we do, that is something you see with fraud is that you see over time, they get more and more comfortable taking the money. So they take more and more money. Um, a couple other quick, uh, interesting facts about just the amount of money that she stole $54 million. That, that works out to $3,300, a little over $3,300 per citizen. Yep of Dixon, Illinois is what she stole. And if you look at it for, uh, if you annualize that, it was 165. And this is what makes it almost seem like, not reasonable, but you know what I mean? It was $165 per person per year right. is what she stole. Right. So if you look at it like that, it's like, okay, how much, you know, how much are you paying in taxes? It's probably a lot more than 165 in a year. Right. But 165 of what you paid per citizen, and that's not obviously. There's a lot of citizens who are not taxpayers per se, but uh, but still, 165 bucks per person per year. That's how you can make a lot of money in 20 years. And to put it in context, the the largest municipal fraud prior to Dixon was in Washington D.C., mm-hmm. and it was a 48 million dollar fraud. But there was 11 people involved. And Washington DC, yeah. Washington DC is a, it's not a big city, but it's a, it's a sizable city. So the fraud worked out yeah. to be about $80 per resident. The, the right. idea, the fact that the fraud in Dixon was $3,300 per citizen is, yeah. Is it impressive? Bonkers. <laughs> it's Yeah. It's bonkers. And, like, and, 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 and I mean, we're, maybe we're burying the lead a little bit here, but like, Obviously, you know, she's she's showing horses. She's she's flying around the country. She's well, she's driving around the country because you can't fly horses. Flo- horses can't fly, can they? God. She's driving around the country showing she horses. Had, she had a she had the stables of Pegasuses that she was flying around the that's how much money this lady had. Greek Is she had a herd of Pegasi. She just jump on the back of one and go, yippee kaye, let's go to champagne. Illinois, which is another city there that I have been to that. Anyway, <laughs> there were some very, there were serious <laughs> cuts. Not a laughing matter. The, the city of Dixon, they were, they were, they were slashing their municipal budget like crazy while this is all going on. Yeah. And so yeah. the, the, the repercussions of all this money going into this account where she was just spending straight away like it the, like it, w- it was it's very it's very tangible like the the impact of it is very tangible mm-hmm. you can see it and so i mean that is it's it's just a remarkable it, it's a remarkable fraud for for those for those reasons and 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 more uh, so did 
Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners, large and small, still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? Why not move your accounting practice to the 21st century using Avalara for Accountants? The Avalara for Accountants compliance automation platform helps accounting service providers grow their client base with sales tax prep and filing, business license management, and more. And Avalara Managed Returns for Accountants was recognized as a best product in 2021 through CPA Practice Advisors Technology Innovation Awards. Want to learn more? Well, stick around because later in the show, we're going to tell you about a special offer. So, Greg, do you want, um, I think maybe we haven't given the horses enough of, uh, we haven't covered the horses to the extent that we should. Should we? Talk? Okay. Okay. Uh, let's talk horses. Let's talk about some horses. She had between three and four hundred quarter horses in more than a dozen states, and which is again bonkers. Yeah, that's so many horses. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's like that's like you know that's like even rich people, even regular rich, wealthy, affluent people, <laughs> don't have four hundred right. horses. Right. But, but do the math real quick. Sure. If you have 400 quarter horses, that actually only makes up a hundred full horses. I'm so glad you're it's, here. To it's really a podcast about fractions. Yeah, it's, it's really. <laughs> <laughs> and some of these, some of these one fourth horses are, uh, they had, they, they had some very mm, ironic names, Greg. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, like, she had her, her the the big the big prize winning horse. The name of that yeah. horse was Good. I will be. Yeah, which uh, it, again, so just the, the irony with the with that name is, or is ridiculous. she, or she is she just winking at everybody, or giving the finger, some combination thereof. I don't uh, know what's or subcon. You kind of wonder how much the subconscious plays into stuff yeah. like this. Because here's some here's some other names. I execute class. I'm uh-huh. money too. These are names of horses. She scores. <laughs> Pack and jewels. Jewelry by Tiffany. What a stupid name. <laughs> yeah. The, well. Yeah, but all horse names are stupid. That's what I mean. Like, but, but, but like I, the, the name, the name, the product name. I can't believe it's not butter. Is the stupidest product name ever. That's the that's a completely normal horse name, and it has been for decades. If you had a horse name, I can't believe it's not butter. You go, yeah, that's a that's a good horse name. If you have that. a butter, if you have butter named, I can't believe it's not butter. It's like wh- who who was the who was marketing on this one? Ridiculous. All right, I got three more. And then we'll stop with this. Okay. Careful who you invite. Ain't I a natural? And I found a penny. Yeah. So again, I think there's a lot of subconscious where it's like, you know, a lot of her horses were named up about money stuff, about trust stuff, and about bling. So yeah. so Greg, this this all came to an end, obviously. At, at some point. Yes. And, and the way it came to yes. an end was someone we mentioned earlier. Uh, her name was Kathy Swanson, city clerk. And she, she worked closely with Rita Crunwell. And as we mentioned, Rita, Rita took a lot of vacation. And when she was out of town, Miss Swanson needed, she was working, I believe on a, on a, on a presentation for the city council or for the board. Uh, and 
and she needed all the bank statements to prepare for this council meeting. And so she called Fifth Third Bank and requested all the bank uh-huh. statements. So they sent all the bank statements and that included all the bank statements included bank statements for that secret account that nobody knew about. Right. And so when she got those right. records, she saw these big deposits for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's where she saw this RSCDA reserve fund. Right. And, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking this from, I think I got this from uh, one of the articles I read about her, the ACFE, actually, the fraud magazine did a nice profile on her. But she said, my first thought was that Rita put a private account under the city's name because she was buying and selling horses and shielding the money from the IRS. But that's when I really started looking at all the debits and credits and she saw gas and things like that. And she's like, wait, the city has its own pumps. And so that's where, can you imagine in her brain, it must have just been like, it might like, there must have been like fireworks going off or I don't know, like, or maybe, or maybe, um, or maybe like buildings imploding. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever, whatever, well, and whatever I think, metaphor or vision, vision, visual works for you. <laughs> but that's that, that would, that must have been like a very strange feeling to like just realize that, wait a minute, what, what's going on? You know, she knew something right. was up. Well, and, and I think it, with an interview that I saw of her in that, in that documentary, the All the Queen's Horses, she says, she said that Rita would always tell her, make sure when you call the bank to tell them exactly which accounts you need. And that that was part of her instruction. And so this one time, which 20 years later, somebody finally says, Hey, I just need all the banking statements. Right. And that's when it that's when it happens. But but when she didn't ask for them by name, it's like, oh, I think that was part of the I mean, if we're talking about buildings imploding, that was how that that's what lit the charge for the buildings imploding is going, Oh shoot. She always asked me, told me to, you know, gave me very explicit instructions to ask for each account exactly which ones I need. And the one time I don't, Oh, there's this other one. Oh, why, why wouldn't she want me to get that one? Oh, dang it here. Right. This is what's happening. Right. And I think for, for Kathy Swanson and a lot of the other people that were close to this, you know, it's inevitable right? The question that comes up for, you know, people that are victims of these frauds is like, why are people doing this? So, mm-hmm. and it's weird right. because all the research I did, there's no motive is really ever identified. I don't know if you picked up on something different, Greg, but I never got the sense that they really landed on a motive. D- yeah. I, I mean, nothing, uh, it, it didn't get a lot of play in the story, what exactly her motive was other than just, you know, uh, rank and file greed. Yeah. Being rich. And this, and the whole idea that she, she obviously really loved quarter horses Yep, and that's not a, that's not a cheap hobby. So it's sort of the, this is what I want to do. And this is a way that I can do what I want to do. And so, yeah, just, just basic greed and nothing beyond that is what it seems like. Uh, I think everybody feels comfortable with, with that is why yeah. why motive wasn't explored anymore. right right they don't think about the consequences of their actions which i think is pretty much the case in every fraud that's ever occurred i mean maybe not but right so there's always seem well again it's sort of the short-sightedness where you go oh i'm gonna steal all this money and then you go oh shoot now i can't ever leave my job again right i can't take it a- so yeah. there's a lot you're 
you're not you're not looking at long term planners and people who are setting, uh, you know, five year life plan goals. You got people who are like, oh, look, I can steal money this way. Sweet. Oh, shoot. Now I'm now I'm trapped. Yeah. And and again, when you take into context the small town aspect of it, you just don't think the person down the hall is ripping you and all of your fellow citizens off. You just don't. Right. It just doesn't occur to people. Well, that's another interesting thing. We don't see any interviews with Rita Crunwell. We never see her giving her side of the story and telling what her motives are. And that's really the only way to get to what the motives would be. So, so apart from that, it's just speculation. And, you know, and, and that's, which isn't, you know, if that's all we got, that's all we can do. And I think it's a fun, it's a fun activity. <laughs> it is to try to guess at it, but, but it's really just guesses right. until she talks. About right. It. Right. Another, another interesting point though. And I think this is why female fraudsters do get uh, is, uh, some additional, uh, you know, where, where there's more questions as to what the motive would be is because typically you see a whole lot more fraud from men than you do right. from women. Women do not commit as much fraud just in general. Uh, worldwide, uh, it's uh, what the 72% of cases worldwide are perpetrated by men as opposed to 28. And then even in the United States, that that's, that's skewed by some other, uh, you know, places in the world where women just don't generally have positions of authority like they do in the United States. But in the United States, you're seeing 59% of frauds perpetrated by men. But, um, but what's weird is once you get into asset misappropriation, so the three main types of fraud, we got financial statement fraud, corruption, and asset misappropriation. So men totally dominate financial statement fraud and corruption, but women dominate uh, asset misappropriation. Yep. So interesting, interesting facts there. Again, Rita, kind of, I mean, it, just in the men versus women profiling of fraudsters. Yeah. So as we we talked about Kathy Swanson, the, the whistleblower, you know, long story short, mm -hmm. she brought it to the mayor. She brought it to the attention of the mayor. Um, it was, they were, they quickly, he quickly contacted the FBI. It was, it was because it was so kind it was, it was just kind of plain as day what was going on. He contacted the FBI just to be sure. And they're like, we think, right. we think you're right. And so, and then they, uh -huh. they sat on it for six months. And so right. you watch, you watch those docu the documentary and Kathy Swanson is, she's just by the end of it, she was, she was losing her wits. You know, she was, she was, cause she yeah. was, she wasn't able to tell anybody. She had a boyfriend and she wasn't able to talk to him about it. And like, she, she's stressed out because she basically has to go to work every day with someone that she knows has been lying through her teeth to her for 20 years right you know right and, and that's and in yeah. those six months they watched her steal yep. over three million more dollars yeah. while they were making their case right which is also you know especially again small town you're going she just she just took another three million dollars why don't you stop right. this woman they're like right. hey we listen we got we know what we're doing yeah so just we're the fbi do what we're saying you know, just calm down and let us do our job. <laughs> yep. And so, you know, Kathy says, you know, if you read the interview or if you watch the documentary, she said she she was at it. She was at her wits end and she goes into the office and she she goes to the mayor and she says, I can't. 
do this anymore. And he's like, today's the day. And like, it, like it, it's, it's pretty, it's like, you couldn't write kind of a better way to, for it to, you know, unravel, but then like, and then, yeah, the FBI comes in and they call Rita, he, the mayor calls Rita up to his office and, you know, the, the, the gum shoes are sitting in there and he's like, these two guys want to talk to you. And she's like, all right. And like, and, and uh-huh. she just spilled it, I guess. And then, yeah. And then like yeah, 20, she, and then, she gave then an like interview. 20 or 30, like they say 20 or 30 agents <laughs> right. show up right. and they shut the whole building down. You know, it's just like, yeah. just like the movies, you know? And, and that was that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and crazy. She gave a, a full on interview with the FBI without a lawyer, which again, I, that's a, that's a weird. And when you talk about psychology and interpersonal dynamics, it's weird how many criminals are just a okay blabbing without a lawyer when it's like, you know, you did yeah. it. So right away, just go, Nope, I think I want a lawyer right now, which w- but, but again, I th- being also an armchair psychologist, I got to go that Rita's going, you know what a guilty person would do? They'd say, Hey, I'm not going to say anything until my lawyer's here. So I'm going to just be like the cool one. Who's like, I'm cool. I'll talk, I'll what talk to you. To and then you guys are going to be like, Oh, you are cool. So I guess it was somebody else who stole 50. 50- Four million dollars over and three point two over the last six months. So yeah, so that was dumb. And the other funny thing, I think this is bizarre because she, it, it, at some point I saw that I think it was during that interview that Rita was like, "I I think I I think I took ten million dollars from the city," and and like right from from the context that I read, like that was a legit. She wasn't lowballing just to try to get out of trouble by going, yeah, I took, t- I, I only took $10, no big deal. So she was, she wasn't like trying to get out of it with that, but I, she just legitimately didn't have a great grasp on how much she had stolen over 20 years. Um, so, so that, that's a, that's another just very interesting part of not, I don't just think this fraud case, but a lot of frauds where people lose track of the money that they get for free and burn, without a second thought. Yep. So Rita pled guilty to wire fraud and money laundering uh, in November of 2012. And she was sentenced to 19 years and seven months in order to pay restitution of $107 million. So essentially the amount she stole times two, that's how the judge figured out the penalty. Right. Which is a bonkers amount of mo- 107 million dollars when you don't have a city to steal it from anymore a money that's a ridiculous that's a ridiculous amount of money and here the, the only way she's going to be able to pay that mon- much money is by stealing from a bigger yeah, city get, get that's the only way she be can be comptroller at uh maybe springfield illinois maybe i don't know there you go yeah yeah are they hiring well i don't know but interesting little postscript to all this greg is that uh-huh Rita Crunwell has actually been released from prison. She served about she, nine years of her sentence and she was released in August of 2021. And that's, that's, that's crazy. That's like, it is, it is, it, that's it, it, people are surprised to say the least. <laughs> I would think insulted. <laughs> yeah. But too. right. Yeah. Cause I mean, it, yeah, again, all this kind of, you know, fraud, it seems like the story is always like people do these horrendous things, but then they aren't 
they aren't punished. You know what? Even even the punishment that's doled out, it's it's a uh, they backpedal it to to again to an insulting degree. Yep. Do your clients need help with sales tax automation? Avalara can help your accounting practice start or grow an existing tax compliance practice while you gain efficiencies and reduce risk for you and your clients. Learn more about Avalara for accountants and you'll get a free gift. Meet with an expert to explore how Avalara can help your accounting practice grow and they'll give you a $50 gift card. Contact Avalara at accountants at avalara.com and mention the code fraud. Our final segment is So What? This is where we lead a horse to water, but can't make it pay restitution. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And this is and this is where we really this is where this is the part of uh of South Park where they say, What did we learn today? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so I, I learned something so today. Here let's let's start with an easy lesson, Greg. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we haven't we haven't brought this up yet, but we're gonna talk about auditors. And yeah, the city of Dixon had an annual audit. And yeah, they, uh, the, the, the firm was at that time was still Clifton Gunderson today known as Clifton Larson Allen, but, um, yep. Uh, they were sued when they went to, uh, recoup, uh, some of the, 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 the stolen money. There was, they did a number of different things. They had a big auction, um, and they, they sold Mm -hmm. semen and horses and saddles and, and trophies and things, right. but there was also some litigation right. and, um, and, yeah. and Clifton, uh, Clifton Gunderson at the, the then Clifton Gover- Gunderson was, was one of the uh, chief targets of the litigation. And, and I would say for good reason, um, they were doing the bookkeeping. Abs- absolutely good. <laughs> they, reason. they were doing the bookkeeping, uh, for the city of, of, of Dixon. And they also did the audit, which, just blows my mind that they somehow were able to, you know, figure this out because there were massive independence, uh, con- there, there were massive conflicts of interest yeah. going on here. And, Huge. Um, yeah. so yeah, just, great. I mean, they, yeah, that right there ahead. doing the bookkeeping and doing the auto work. We, I mean, that's basic independence violation right there. So that I'm, yeah. I'm so just boggled that like how Clifton <laughs> Gunderson did any of this stuff. So that that's the, I mean, it's almost like there's more red flags for uh Clifton Larson Allen than there were for Rita uh, Crund. Right. And I mean, so, and that was one of them. One, one, just uh, one point of clarification is if someone did like call this out at some point and there's another firm that also got su- sued. I, the firm is called Janice card and associates. And essentially uh-huh. what Clifton did is they, they essentially outsourced the bookkeeping to this firm who then became later a, also one of the, you know, the, the defendants in the litigation. And, and that's how they, that's how they were able to like, basically, I don't know, make it work. Get around. Yeah. To get around yeah, it. Okay. But like, it just in general, gotcha. it just, it's yeah, it, it, it should have, you know, if, if, if you had, you know, more than a part-time mayor and part-time city council members, Maybe they would have, you know, raised more hell about that, but I don't know. Right. And so the the auditor 
the auditors missed a lot of things. They missed like there were, there were clues on the phony invoices. There were typos on the invoices. They were missing phone numbers. The, the projects, I don't wouldn't say the projects were obviously fictitious, but they weren't, it doesn't sound like they, they kind of failed to perform any, anything close to rigorous audit work to confirm, to right. confirm that the, uh, the, the, the projects were real. They knew about the secret bank account. They confirmed they, part of the confirmation process, they confirmed that account. It was li- you, the, the lawyer in the documentary holds up the confirmation and the bank account <laughs> is listed on there. I'm not even kidding. It's it, and, and that's and they knew that's they knew about all of it. Too. They knew about all of it. I don't get that. It's 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 bad. Yeah. How how could you know how could you know about that and not that I mean that again totally bonkers. Well, if that that's if, the if, case. if we if we allow ourselves to speculate a little bit, Greg, there's two key things that I think two key facts that make this even more interesting. Number one, uh Clifton Gunderson, then Clifton Gunderson, they uh, they prepared Rita Crenwell's tax returns. Uh-huh. And in, in, I believe, I remember in one case, they said there was uh, $300,000 in undocumented income. And so yeah. that is strange. And also, yes. I think this is my, actually my favorite. Uh, during the 1980s, uh, there was a softball team. Uh, Clifton oh, Gunderson had right. a softball team. And right. Rita Crunwell played on that softball team. <laughs> Which if there's not, if there's an independent, if there wasn't an independence issue before, there is as soon as uh, one of the people that you're auditing is your your star pitcher right. in your fast pitch softball league. So it t- in terms of the suit settlements, you want to talk about the total dollar yeah. amounts yeah, that I've everybody got, de- got? Yeah, I've got the those ci- details. These are civil suits. Yes. Yeah. So they were able to recoup quite a bit of money. They got, Clifton Gunnarsson paid about thirty-five million uh, to settle, which is a ton. Which is a lot. They were they were on the hook yeah. for a lot, and and rightly so. Greg's uh, yeah, favorite I, I bank, agree. Fifth Third Bank, uh, uh-huh. they recouped about three point eight million from Fifth Third, and then mm-hmm. the other accounting firm that I mentioned, Janice Card and Associates, came up with a million. So right there, you were getting pretty close. To about forty million, just shy of forty million, I think. Then, if you add all the horses that they sold, right? They raised yeah, 40, what did 40 they raise? What they raise at auction? About ten million. Okay. As of twenty fifteen, they sold off almost. Well, actually, as of twenty fifteen, they they they'd auctioned off and gotten revenue of over nine million dollars from her stuff. They projected that they would be able to get that up yep. to about ten million by the time all the auctioning was over um you know with all the all the quarter horses all, all the frozen horse semen all the they were auctioning off her trophies and her clothes and her motor coaches and her homes and all that stuff and and they were thinking 10 million so that's the crazy thing too she stole 53 million between the civil suits and between the assets that they sold of Rita's, they got back 50 of the $53 million, yep. which seems like that's also underplayed how much they actually recovered on this. Now, that's not the net that they did because the other crazy thing was as they were trying to auction off these horses, it was just a, a an ungodly amount of money to maintain the horses. So yep. they actually auctioned the horses off before 
the trial was done with Rita because it was just too expensive to keep the horses. The the thing that sticks out in my mind is like two hundred thousand dollars a month yep. just to just to just keep the horses the from not dying. Yep. Yeah. So yes, sir. So I think there's I think there's lesson here. Well, let's remind everyone out there in podcast land. Auditors are not responsible for detecting fraud. They're not. Don't know why. But <laughs> don't know. This well, this this case would certainly raise the question as to why. But but they are but they're well, not responsible but, for but detecting here's the thing. fraud. They're not yeah. they're not responsible, but clearly they are supposed to when it's this fucking obvious <laughs> that it's happening. That's why they got sued for $35 million. Yeah. So yeah, so 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 in our engagement letters, we say, hey, just so you know what we're doing here, we're not gonna find we're, we're not necessarily gonna find fraud if fraud is there. That's not uh, that's not really what we're doing. But if it's like, hey, dumb dumb, it was right there, right. then yeah, you were responsible for finding that fraud. Yep. All right. So Lesson one, auditors, you bear some- Do your job. Do your jobs, dudes. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Here's the thing that we talked a lot, that we talk a lot about, Greg, which is uh, in the case of small businesses, in this case, we're talking about a small government, um, just a complete dearth of resources. I mean, just don't have the people, don't have the oversight, don't have- uh, they don't. Uh, one one thing that I read uh, in uh, there was an internal auditor article that I read about municipal fraud. Sometimes the, the there's no mandates in place that say by law you are required to do X, Y, and Z to monitor a city's finances, immature right. governance processes, and then just like kind of lack of understanding and support of just kind of financial literacy. And so, I guess. I guess my question for you, Greg, as somebody who thinks a lot about this stuff is, are these just the circumstances that local governments have to kind of operate in or do they bear the responsibility? In this case, the mayor, the city council, are they really victims or are they, do they bear some responsibility? Uh, It's uh, my answer to that is both of those are true. A, they are victims, but B, they also bear responsibility for it because ultimately they are the oversight for the city. Now, are they compensated enough to really go through and dig through Rita's books? Uh, that's that's tough to say when you're when your mayor is being paid less than ten thousand dollars a year to to govern the entire city, and the the commissioners are paid less than three thousand dollars. So I I think that there was some flaws in the way that the city was set up. But on the other hand, there, I mean, I mean, we, we see this. And when, when you were outlining Rita's responsibilities, it says that she would print the checks, she would sign the Mm -hmm. checks and she would reconcile the bank statements. Those that's, that's internal controls. One Oh one is have different people do those three things. And even if you can't have a different person do all three of those, you need to do as much as that as you can. The easiest one is Rita shouldn't have been signing checks. Yep. Uh, everybody else she she should have had zero check signing authority and that's because that's something even if you don't get paid much and don't have a lot of time you can go you can bring and and it's it's not a for sure thing that's gonna you know uh that's gonna prevent the fraud but it's at least a roadblock that's i mean she's gotta be a lot ballsier if she's not the one signing the checks to go 
uh, you know, for the invoices that get deposited then into the the RSDCDA account. Right. And even that, the bank, and that's one of the things I've noticed is too, banks kind of don't give a crap about your internal controls. Nope. So like I, I'm in a similar position at my job, very small. I'm, I'm basically an accounting department of one, and I have to make sure that I set up the internal controls for myself to make sure that everybody's comfortable with what I'm doing at work. And there's a lot of transparency stuff that I've got to put in where I have to say, oh, no, 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 I am not a signer on this account. Someone else has to be. So again, she could have perpetrated the fraud even with some of the with it appearing as though there's some separation of duties but it would have been more difficult that would have been just some of the basics that you could do even with a minimal resources you can have somebody else sign the checks yeah and i guess the other thing that i think about a lot is it's situations like this that really cause a lot of people to lose their faith in government and mm-hmm. i think that's a huge problem and I don't, I don't know. I, that's one of those things as far as lessons are concerned, I, that's a lesson that I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that's, how that improves at least in the short term, you know, but right. well, one, one thing, well, I think, one possibility, I, go ahead. Sorry. Uh-huh. Well, well, I think you touched on it too. It seems like there should just be some regulation where it's right. like, Hey, guess what? City government, you, I mean, you can regulate it, a requirement for basic internal control right. where it's like, Hey, you can't have the same person write the checks and sign the checks. Right. That's not, that's not, I mean that I think that would be, a, I'm actually a little bit surprised that that's not widely already like law right. in, in municipalities. Yeah. And I think that, I think you're right. I think that is probably one of the shortest routes to basically codifying accountability. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing that you could codify in something like that, if you're going to do some, you know, if you were going to legislate some of this is your favorite, Greg Kite, is transparency Mm -hmm. and the idea that civil, civil employees, especially administrative and finance ones, that their work will be monitored. There will be oversight of some kind. And I think, you know, you, you and I have had a lot of conversations within this within the context of ethics, but I think transparency in government, it's, it's, it's kind of cuts both ways. It's something that people want, but it's also kind of considered a joke. Uh, and so right. to the extent that local governments can make, I, I believe I, gosh, I even saw, I saw something about, I think in Illinois, they have like, a, there was a government transparency project of some kind. And basically they suggested you you make the check register public, and I'm like, that's not mm. the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know that sounds like a great. It idea. seems like a pretty yeah. good idea, actually. Yeah. Well, have you here's a, have you ever been to a city council meeting? Yes. Have you ever actually gone to a city? It's council? been a long yeah. time. Really? Yes. yes. In in what city? Well, the my hometown. The, oh, the little tiny town, yes. which which is which is awesome. I, I also have been to city council meetings, and it was in the town I grew up in, which is Mount Lake Terrace, Washington, just north of Seattle, Washington. The the people who attend city council meetings are the worst people on the planet. I, I mean, like, well, or not all they, of them, but are they, but it, or are they the best? 
It could, they could be the best because here's the thing I'm thinking about. I hadn't even thought about this idea that you just brought up of making like the check register for the city, like public. Yep. These, the people that showed up at the Mount Lake Terrace, Washington city council meetings, they would look through every goddamn check in that check register and they would call the companies that they were made out to, to make sure that the checks were received and cashed in a timely manner. That that's the kind of folks who show up for city council meet. Like you said, possibly the best people, but also the I worst. don't understand the amount of time or the motivation that makes these people do what they do. But they're very, they're very passionate about whatever brings them to the meeting. So I think that's a great idea in terms of transparency. And, so, and again, when we talk about ethics, we say anything you can do to make your job more transparent, you're going to, you're, you're making things better for everybody, including yourself. Yep. All right, cool. Just a couple of more things, Greg, you know, you were talking about like just basic separation of duties. You're yep. in a position where that's not possible in, in the, in the Dixon situation, that was, it, it wasn't possible until someone else new came in and said, no, we're going to, we are going to have separation of duties. So if people are in a situation like this, like, what do they do? Like, how do you, when you can't separate duties, what's your next course of action? I, I don't think that there's a lot of, I mean, like I said, I already gave away my biggest secret is that the one, if there's three things that different people are supposed to do, you're supposed to have physical, uh, you know, physical, any physical assets, that's one person's job, like the checks. Like I'm printing checks, that's one person's job. Signing checks is another person's job. Reconciling the bank account, that's supposed to be a third person's job. The one thing that's super easy to separate is the is the authorization side. Is someone someone other than Rita should have been signing those checks? And I think that's so. When you say you can't separate duties, I would actually go and say, yeah, you you can do that part. Yeah, you can separate authorization, and that's and any any organization can do that. It's going to be a little bit more cumbersome, but only slightly yep. than you know than Rita signing the check that she just printed out uh, herself. And what about? So I I think, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. It, it is. You can be like, look, you don't know anything about accounting but you're going to approve every check that gets cut. And somebody like, right. okay. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, and that person should also be able to say, you say, and if you've got questions, you've got the authority to say, now what's this check for? Yep. And again, it's not, it's not foolproof, but it's going to help. And, and really you could have, even if one of your council members was responsible for printing the checks, somebody could load them into the accounting software. And then you have one council member who has the checks in a, in a safe or in a locked drawer. And then they, part of their part-time duties is printing the checks and taking them to the person who's authorizing them. So that's, that's another, I mean, you can, you can do it. Okay. It's do it's doable. It's maybe not easy. And again, you're fighting against financial and accounting illiteracy and unsophisticated, just people who are not sophisticated in those areas, but it's not like you can't train it. Yep. You can, you can train it. Yep. I'm sold. So, so another question. Cool. Can you ask, mm -hmm. can you ask your independent auditors to just beat you up on an audit? Is that, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I mean, am I talking about physical? No, I mean, I'm just talking about like, can, can they, can you just go to your auditor and like say, look, we don't have a lot of 
oversight here. So look close. Like don't don't go but, easy on us. Can you do that? You can, but they're already supposed to do that. That's what pisses me off about Clifton Larson Allen in this whole thing. Right. Because one of the things you're supposed to do at the beginning of an audit is you're supposed to get everybody together and brainstorm how the company might have perpetrated fraud in the audit that you're about to do. And if it's like, hey, we got one lady in Dixon, Illinois, that writes the checks, signed the checks, and and reconciles the bank accounts, that's probably a, a place that somebody could perpetrate some fraud per chance so they so that the, it's not asking the auditors to do it they're supposed to do it already that's that's the job that's the job right that's who's that's who's with me my hand is raised you can't see it but my hand is raised i'm okay. with you yeah i think we'll end up talking more about auditors in the future but but again but here's another way to look yeah, at yeah. it too when you're th- talking even sarbox stuff you've got your audit committee and that's another thing that you probably should that like audit committee type responsibilities should have not been with rita because she was right. the main liaison between the city and clifton gunderson it that sh- that that liaison should have been the mayor who he goes and he says hey here's I'm hiring you, not Rita. Is Rita doing what she's supposed? You need to just double check that Rita's not screwing right. us. Well, Mr. Mayor, she was our starting shortstop for about seven seasons <laughs> in the in the mid to late 80s. So, And she did a fine job for us. Anyway, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, last question uh, about Rita. She yes. served nine years. That's less than half of her sentence. Has justice been served, Greg Kite? Um, justice, I mean, we're talking very philosophical question here of what is justice? What is, anyway, yeah. what is justice? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've got opinions about prison reform, but in this particular instance, Greg Kite, if a, if a person who perpetrated a $54 million fraud Put a put a small city in dire straits, uh, in in all kinds of ways, you know everything from infrastructure to law enforcement to you name it. She serves less than half of her sentence, which is still not nothing. I'd have to say nine years is right. Nine years. I mean, is is in this case is just assert. I would say I'd have to say no. Here's here's my here's how my brain is trying to wrap itself around justice. Here is I go if you stole a bunch of money from someone, justice is served as if if the money is if if the if the victim is made whole. Mm. So she took fifty three million dollars from the city. Uh, what was it? About fifty was recovered, but you also have to say there was incidental expenses. Like for instance, like we were saying, the city had to borrow that fifty-four million dollars over those twenty years. So there was a lot of interest that was also lost from the city. Right. So the city, I mean, even if you look at just the basic dollars before feeding the horses, even you go, the city was about three million dollars worse off at the end of this. So no, justice wasn't served there. But then you go, okay, how much of that three million dollars was just taken out of her hide in nine years of, of jail time? Right. And that's a, that's pretty difficult to quantify. And you go, okay, she's she was not a young lady when she went to jail. Wasn't she wasn't she pushing 70 no, she when she pushing, went to jail? She was pushing 60. She was just, I think she was about 60 years old. Okay. Yeah. 
So so she is about, okay. So she's, she's, she's pushing about, seventy now. She's pushing seventy now. Yeah. Okay. And, and with that, I a part of her part of her uh, appeal to get out to have her sentence reduced had to do with her uh, waning health mm. as an elderly person. Um, but at the same time, I know a lot of very healthy seventy-year-olds. So I, I'm going to say no. Justice was not served. She should still be in jail. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you feel like justice was served? I mean, I, I think you make a really excellent point on the restitution. I think it's, it, uh, someone who's better at numbers than me could really find out what, where Dixon, how much they really lost out on. Cause it is more than just the 54 Mm -hmm. million. You're right. Like they borrowed, they, they were borrowing money throughout the entire scheme in order to, finance the stuff that they could. And so yeah. uh, I didn't get the sense from anything that I saw that that was figured into the government or the, or the judges. Again, I don't recall exactly the, why the restitution was just double what was stolen. Maybe that right. was well, and how it, it made up for it. But in that sense, it, well, and, and, but Caleb, if she did pay the $107 million that was, which she's not you know, right. charged against her. Right. There's no way she can. No, I know. But if she did, then I'd go, yeah, justice justice would have been more than served. Right. It would have been super justice if she did $107 million. It would have been justice. It would have been so just that uh, Superman would have blushed at the end of that by the amount of justice that was served. Yeah. So, but, but obviously that's a ridiculous amount of money and there's no way that she's ever going to pay that off. Yeah. So, and so I guess I don't, I, I don't, I have a hard time and this may not be a popular opinion, but I just have a hard time seeing how keeping someone in prison, uh, for a nonviolent crime for <laughs> right in, 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 until they're in the ground. Like I just I, right. I have a hard time rationalizing why that is a, a good outcome for right. our society as a whole. Right. Instead of putting her in prison, just make sure that every time she's seen in public, if she passes a citizen, that citizen has to go boo, and then that's that's a that's a pretty good <laughs> right. They could punishment. do the old they could do the old Larry David where they make her walk out in front of city hall with a sandwich board. I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's it again. Uh, humiliation. Yeah. Is that, what is, 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 is that where our criminal justice system should go? I don't know. Um, but anyway, I, right. I think it, it is, you know, for a small municipality, it, it had an enormous impact on the citizens. They're still recovering from it. And yeah. so in that regard, yeah. uh, I can easily make for a case that, you know, this, this is a disappointing result for all those people. No doubt yeah. about it. No, I think, I think it, I think it clearly was. All right. That's it for this episode. Uh, Greg, where can people find you out there in the internet land? Where are you hanging out? Uh, out, out in, out in internet land. You can, I mean, it's funny. The easiest way to find me is just Google Greg kite where the last name is K Y T E. And there's me and like a firefighter in Mississippi and that's it. So, uh, don't, it's so a disregard anything firefighter related. And you'll find me Uh Twitter. I'm at Greg kite, uh, Instagram. I'm at exposure drafts for my cartoons. Uh, Caleb, where can people get a hold of you if they'd like to? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at C Newquist, uh, LinkedIn, Caleb Newquist. And I don't know. I, I don't really hang out on the internet. Right on. Out there. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good, good. Oh, my fraud is written by 
Me, Caleb Newquist, and Greg Kite. Sound design, editing, and mixing by Blake Oliver. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Join us next time for more avarice swindlers and scams from stories that will make you say, oh my fraud. Oh my fraud.